For the month of July, Ohio's on Fire podcast would like to give a thank you to the following people for their contribution at Patreon. MI3 and Alexis Stelmack. This is the show where Ohio throws down. Ohio is on fire, episode 239. I am Daniel Diesel, and on this episode, I will have an exclusive interview with Professor Taylor Curtis. She is from Sinclair Community College, and for music fans out there, you might know her as Michael from the band Frequency, as they are a premier R&B band from the Dane, Ohio area. And of course, a few years ago, I actually talked to Frequency. I got to know more about their music. We focused on that. But this time, I want to focus on Taylor Curtis, the person, and the professor. And then we had, a, we had a discussion I'm really proud of, and I'm really happy how it went as we talked about COVID-19, what Black Lives Matters really mean, and we talk about all the issues going on in society, and what she's doing to prepare for the outbreak of COVID-19. And it was a really amazing discussion. So we focus on her as a teacher, talks about how she really, what she does with her students and how she communicates with them. Really deep conversation. That's coming up in just a little bit. But throughout this episode, I'm going to be playing original tracks from Frequency. It's actually a live recording of some of their highlights from when they were at Old Yellow Cab Tavern in Dane, Ohio, some time back. And I'm going to go ahead and play one of those tracks now before we get to the interview with Professor Taylor Curtis. I'm going to play the track Love Joint. They did this live. I'll play that and you'll hear other tracks throughout the episode when you least expect it. And of course, I'll talk about it at the end of the show, my thoughts on the interview and I'll talk a little bit, plug a little bit about the music of Frequency and other things that's on my mind that's coming up. So right now, here's Love Joint live from Frequency. You're listening to the Ohio's on Fire podcast. So in our setup... Yeah, we have a couple love joints, you know what I'm saying? Pick it up this little. But we don't want to sing them R&B joints that's going to put you to sleep, you understand? Dan the man, can I get a little bit more right here? Just on me, just a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. So we like to have fun with our music. No diss to nobody else, but when you hear us, we want you to wake up and feel good about yourself, right? Because music has a way of doing that to us. It has a way of making us feel a certain way, you know? 
When we're down and out, we look to music. When we're in a good mood, we look to music. When we're working out, we look to music. When we're driving down the road on that road trip, got the music pumping, right? So we want to feel good to y'all. Come on. Wish I could say that I would never walk away, but I know that I should never say. Never say, never, never, never say, never know. You don't even know if I'm sufficient for you, but still I can say I love you. I won't episode she is someone i spoke to a few years ago under a different circumstance i was talking to her about her music but today we're talking about her as a teacher and she is a world-class teacher i believe she is one only taylor curtis say hello professor taylor curtis hello everyone thank you so much for having me i am so grateful to be back again with ohio's on fire absolutely and of course you may notice taylor i am no longer in college i'm doing this independently so things have changed for me as well but we're independent. And of course, um, you're kind of like Bruce Wayne, because yes, during the day, you are a teacher at Sinclair Community College. Of course, at night, you do the music thing with frequency. So I just want to know, how do you have the energy to do all that, to teach a class full of young minds? And then at night, probably on the weekends, you guys performed, you would just go out there and dance and 
I mean, where do you where do you come up with this energy? You know, it is not as easy as it sometimes may look. <laughs> um, especially if you like been teaching all day and you're talking in a classroom. And you know, I'm a college professor, so you're teaching several different classes. You're talking all day, and then to go to rehearsal or to go to a show right after that, like your voice is worn out. You've been tired. You've been on your feet. You know, you've been moving around. You've kind of been like engaged all day. So it is a lot of work. Um, I think that I have some like focus, like refocus rituals that I kind of do for myself yeah. um, on, on a show day. It's kind of like game day for some people. For me, it's like, you know, I try to conserve my energy as much as possible and, you know, do the warm ups and, and but still kind of rest and relax and just kind of prepare my mind and prepare my energy. So if I can spend, you know, at least a few hours just kind of keeping to myself and, and conserving that energy, it helps a lot when it's showtime. But it is a it is a hard balance and I think um time management is something that I think is a huge skill that people can learn and I am learning. I've always been a procrastinator and that has just been my story of my life. And um in the past year, I restarted my skincare cosmetics business with Mary Kay, and the time management training that my millionaire mentor has given me has blown my mind. I mean, it literally has gotten me to a point where I'm starting to find other things that I can, you know, prioritize my time with so that it makes it easier for me to transition in these important roles. So you do three things. You're even better than Bruce Wayne. You just do everything. <laughs> But um, do you drink Red Bull? Because some people, they do all that. They have to drink Red Bull, have some type of sugar. Do you do anything like that? Actually, do not. I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't drink um, Red Bulls and, like, energy drinks on purpose. I maybe have a tea here or there. But I think, for me, it's, like, a mindset thing. Like, you, when you set your mind and your focus to getting certain things done or, you know, I'd be happy with my day if I got these things finished <laughs> type of thing it helps and then like I said you know knowing when to conserve your energy knowing when to use it and then you know sugar and chocolate help too so. well that helps me sugar and chocolate absolutely but you know I'm impressed with at Sinclair you're the director of African American Studies so how'd you become the director how'd that work well, I'll tell you it was very unexpected um the African American Studies program has been a while, or been around for quite a while, but not something that everyone really knows about. Um, it's a short-term certificate program, so that means it's only five classes that you take, and you get this certificate on top of whatever degree you're working on at, at the school at the time, um, which is really awesome, really amazing. I started teaching the African American Psychology class first, yes. and as I started teaching that class, which you know it was not something that I even knew about for. A very long time in my psychology journey. It's not something that people share very often, and it's not something that was ever talked about at Sinclair, at Ohio State, at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Like, it just wasn't talked about. Um, and so I became a member of the National Association of Black Psychology, and then I um, eventually, the, the person who had been over the program uh, got to a point where he was preparing to retire. Um, that opened up the class for other people to teach the class. And really, I taught it because he went over to Africa during the summertime, and he was supposed to come back and teach the class in the fall. And something happened. He got stuck. He wasn't able to come back, and someone had to teach the class, and I was next in line. Someone's got to do it. I kind of got dropped into that. I got my feet wet, learned 
about teaching that course and fell in love with that course. And then um, that man retired, Dr. Tway. Um, someone else who had been at the college for a long time kind of picked up the director of African-American studies position uh, kind of as an interim basis. And um, then she ended up moving to Hawaii, moving. which was very unexpected. And so they kind of were like, hey, we need you. <laughs> Can you do this? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I was eventually expecting that one day this would fall into my lap uh, because I am currently the only full-time uh, person of color at St. Clair Community College in the psychology really? department. So, unfortunately, there's not a lot of people of color that the position could go to. And so I knew eventually it might be on its way to me. Um, but I'm very grateful for the opportunity because um, as someone who's a millennial and a professor at the same time, I have a different take on what it takes to connect students to what it is that we're offering. And um, we're now in a position where we're using the media so much more and technology so much more to start marketing what we do so that people can understand what the purpose would be in taking classes like that or getting a certificate like that. Absolutely. Which would be to have cultural competency, right? We're living in this crazy society. All this stuff is going on. Yes. Racism is at the forefront. We're seeing people, you know, being hung. We're seeing people being murdered. Um, we're yes. seeing police brutality. We're seeing all these different things. And we're recognizing that this is a conversation that we should have been having that we have allowed to kind of get swept under the rug. And now people are wanting their businesses that they patronize. They're wanting their institutions that they go to. They're wanting their community to be better better about these things and to be more aware about cultural differences, yes. to be more aware about the issues and the disadvantages that some people have, and then be more aware about how to be a part of the change. And so this entire program is dedicated towards helping people build this awareness of the systems that we navigate yes. and then figuring out how to dismantle some of these systems that are not serving us well. Um, and I love this uh, program for that reason, because then you could go into any field and have an upper hand about how to address some of these issues within your particular organization or corporation. Absolutely. Because you said a buzzword millennial. I'm also a millennial. And I feel like what I'm to elaborate on is that in my time alive, we were, we was always taught about Black History Month and the movements of Martin Luther King Jr. Malcolm X. But it was in the past, like, growing up in the 80s and 90s, they, they were in the past tense because, you know, black people were treated well for a while. But, I mean, at least for a while, because we had a president of that color for eight years, and things were great. But it was also, it was very well educated early on in schools. Like, you little kids were learning about this early. I think that's key. you got to reach people when they're young, because if you don't reach them at all, they're, they're going to get other ideas in their head. And that can cause controversy. And I think... um you, you and me, our generation, I think seeing this uproar of racism that's now public again, this first time I've witnessed this since I was alive, and perhaps you as well. So, so I'm noticing that um, it's important that millennials do educate themselves and stand up for themselves, but also we got to lean on the people from the past generation that's still alive that remember Martin Luther King Jr. So I just thought of it. Is there anyone in your life, well, I mean, that's older, that remembers the last time this country was in such a racial uproar? Absolutely. Actually, to be honest with you, um, I think that, number one, our education, we've been miseducated. We were totally miseducated growing up, and all of the kids still are. Yeah. And the Black History Month 
during the shortest month of the year was full of stories about Martin Luther King, um, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, maybe, and free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. And then next thing you know, Martin Luther King is dead and we're mourning his death. And that was really it. And that's not the history. That is not the reality. And the reality is that our history is very extensive with racism and mm. slavery and the impacts of those things on our lives. So for me personally, my first experience with racism, I was five years old. Okay. And it's been happening in my life ever since. Every single day I experience something, whether it is the stereotypes, whether it's the prejudice, whether it's discrimination. Um, you know, and I've been experiencing it my whole life. And I think the main thing now is that technology is so prevalent and that our streaming um, and live streaming and uh, nice. social media is now capturing these things that are happening. These things have not. That's important. Ever now it's just more prevalent on our news feed on social media. Um, but the reality is, is that this has always been happening. My father um, actually was in the first group of kids to be bused into integrated schools. In um, which area was that in? West Virginia. West Virginia. So my father was living in West Virginia, and my father was the first group of black kids that had to be bused to a white school. So they had to go through that experience yeah. live and in person. Um, my grandfather was the president of the NAACP during a very, very rough time of the civil rights movement. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, my family and my experiences, we've been experiencing this, and we've been continuously experiencing this. And because of that, a lot of especially black families are socialized to understand that these things exist and to know what has been happening and how to expect to be treated or how to um, expect people to look at you as a black person in America. But we're not necessarily, necessarily taught about how to deal with it. We're just taught that it's going to happen. you got to work 10 times harder to be successful. Um, mm. You're going to experience racism. People are going to not like you. You know, all these things will happen, but we don't really get taught, you know, what do you do when it happens? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that emotionally, spiritually, psychologically? You know, we don't realize that we're internalizing this. I saw a really cool picture yeah. the other day, and it was like a fish in the, in the, um, in the water tank. Um, and the fish was looking around and saying, water? What water? And the person was standing outside of the water tank, and they were like, culture? What culture? Because we breathe it in. Yes. It becomes our normal. I agree so, with that. In and it's our normal, we don't even realize what's going on around us until it hits the news or until it becomes a, a trending topic or until it becomes protest in the middle of the street across the country. Yeah, it takes just protests for, for seems for these things to get um, attention, which is why I want to touch off about the current Black Lives Matter movement in America. Of course, I think it, um, it's been around for a while, the Black Lives Matter name. But after what happened with George Floyd, um, and of course a bunch of other um, police brutality events that have happened this year, it's, back, it's definitely on the rise. And I do see the positives of this. It's, you know, it's black people. They, they, you know, those have been victims of abuse because of racism. They're trying to stand up for themselves. Now, with that being said, there's, there's an old terminology. There's a few bad apples that spoil the bunch. That does seem to happen with these protests. There's a lot of criminals who are black. They take these protests. They go out and do bad things. It happens each way, like, yeah, bad, you know, the white racisms, white racist people, they'll go to these protests and be a troll and start trouble. But, you know, there's also these um, instances where um, 
in Dane, I'll use Dane Ohio for example. A buddy of mine actually owns a property. He is a middle-aged white man, and it was a black. It was black protesters. They damaged the um, interior of the property. He had to like get new glass, and it cost him money. So some people are taking it too far. So do you when um do you feel does it upset you like like when there's uh, I, Black Lives Matter? There is a positive message, but it gets colluded by these bad things. So how does that make you feel when bad things happen? That Crude's Black Lives Matter. Well, I think my biggest issue, honestly, is not that um, there are black people disrupting this this uh, movement, but that there are white people disrupting this movement and pointing the finger at black people. I think that that is probably what upsets me the most is that when you hear about looting and vandalism in, in terms of these protests, that it's marketed as black protesters. Black Lives Matter protesters. These are the people who are criminals. These are the people who are looting. These are the people who are vandalizing. And that's not necessarily true. Okay. The reality is, is that a lot of the vandalists and a lot of the people who are doing the looting are actually individuals who are, number one, undercover. So there are undercover cops. There are undercover Antifa. There are undercover um, uh, racists. There are people who go to these events purposely to stir up trouble. Um, some of them were in Columbus being paid to, for people to riot. They were paying people to riot. There are websites that offer to pay people to, to vandalize and to loot and to riot. Who was, paying um, it, who was being paid to riot? How did that happen? Who was paying who to do that? So the police uh, in Columbus particularly released a, a, a statement asking for information if anyone could locate some of the individuals who were paying others to riot. So the police acknowledged that they knew that there were people being paid to riot and that they were looking for clues to figure out who that was exactly. And that's a common trend that we've seen for years and years in the history of protests in this country, that we've seen people come and pretend that they're there for the peaceful protest and then show up and disrupt, and it sabotages the message. Yes. It sabotages the movement. And then as far as the looters go, you know, that even sabotages it further. So if you look at, for instance, Minneapolis Police Department admitted that during those first waves of protests, majority of the people who were arrested were white nationalists who were connected to a white nationalist group. Yes. And those individuals ones doing the looting and the vandalism but of course it gets painted as black lives matter even in dayton um and columbus some of the police officers were the ones doing the vandalism and it was captured on tape yeah people who were there witnessed it right but of course in the news it's always going to say well the black lives matter protester was doing this and so i think it upsets me the most because it derails the conversation yes. it takes us what we're supposed to focus on is just something else. Honestly, think about it, right? You've got a group of people who have been disparaged and disadvantaged for their entire lives, a group of people who have been snatched from their culture, snatched from their country, told they cannot speak the same language, told they cannot have records of each other, split from their families, their families sold off in front of them, raped in front of the community, beaten in front of the community, yeah. killed in front of the community, lynched on postcards with people smiling, sending us to say, I'm having a great time at the beach, right? This has become the norm of our culture and it impacts our economy and socioeconomic status it impacts our health and our ability to have um, accessible health care not only that but also accessible food Dayton for instance is a food desert yes um, and if you look at all of these things 
And then you put them in a peaceful place and say they're standing up for their rights. And then you put some other people who really, this is not their fight, but they are here. And they go and loot. Yes. How do you think that's going to make someone feel who is the disparaged, disadvantaged person? Do you really think everyone has that much self-control that if they see you run out of Target with the TV that they're not going to at least want a candy bar? <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's, it's like common sense, right? You're going to expect that some people will follow because if these white people are getting away with it, why wouldn't I try? You know, yeah. some people have mentality. Those are people who have been uneducated. Yes. Again, we go back to this education piece. People are not taught to protest. You do realize that in the civil rights movement, the people who protested or who led the protests were trained. The the student college organization SNCC was the ones who were putting together these sit-ins at the lunch counters where it said whites only and colors only. Yes. These were the people that were putting together these Birmingham marches and other things like that. And they were trained. They knew that they would be physically attacked. They knew that they would be arrested. They knew that they would be beaten. They knew they would be spit at. They knew that they would be um, assaulted. They knew these things, and they prepared themselves mentally and physically for it and prepared themselves not to retaliate. Today, we have a lot of reaction. See, those protests of those days was a proactive thing. We are building awareness about something that has been happening for years. They weren't waiting until one instance happened that put them on fire and now they want to go out and protest. They were protesting because we need to change the laws, right? So now what we see today, because the only experience you had during Black History Month was watching those people get sprayed and attacked with dogs, that's their only understanding of the civil rights movement. Yeah, something happened a long time ago. That's the only training we have. That's all you have. And so you're not aware of what to expect or what you're going to go through. You're not aware that people were putting um, um, antifreeze in water bottles and passing them out at these protests. You're not aware that, you know, all of the, there, there was a bus put with bricks and baseball bats set up for people to or intentionally to instigate a riot, right? Yeah. You're, you're not going to be aware of these things, and you're going to be more easily swept along with the majority if the majority decides to take a route that's inappropriate. Yeah. And so, you know, I do think that, you know, obviously vandalism and looting is, is pointless, it's inappropriate, and derails the conversation. But I think it's even more important that we spotlight why it's happening and spotlight who is doing it so that we don't have this um, uh, uh, false narrative that it's the black protesters that are now looting and vandalizing and all that. Yes, some of them, a very small percentage of that is actually stemming from us, right? And when we have that understanding, it then helps us kind of redirect the conversation. Let's not talk about the looting and the vandalism because looting and vandalism is still not more important than these lives that are being killed, right? Yes. That's really awful. The killings, that's really awful. Right. And so we we should focus on the whole picture instead of these little pieces. And I think the reason people do it is to sabotage. So if we can focus on this, then we won't get to the bottom of the issues. And we won't get to the root of the issues, which is what really needs to change. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and talk about police brutality, because that's something that's been in the news, which, of course, that that did spark the current Black Lives Matter movement. Um, A lot of things... uh, there's, I'll talk about the imprisonment I've heard about. I know people that are saying that there's no police brutality going on. It's usually 
white people, usually it's on the conservative side of the, the argument that they, they say the police are just doing their job. They, if they see a criminal, they got to treat them like a criminal. Of course, I think most people agree that on what that officer in Minnesota, he took it way too far. And he shouldn't have killed George Floyd. That was awful. That was really awful. And I think um, it seems like um, more often than not, it is black people, like when they are in custody of police, more often than not, it does happen to them where they wind up getting brutally beaten or sometimes even killed. And of course, the argument I hear from the conservative side of the fence is that what happens to white people, too, there are, there are bad black cops that beat up um, white pedestrians who perhaps thought they didn't do anything wrong. The thing is, instead of, they get upset over that. Well, you, they'll be like, um, what happens to white people, too? And then they just blow off the conversation. Like, they don't show any empathy for this happening to the black community. They're just upset that it, ha it happens to white people and nothing's being done about that. So what I want to know is... Um, well, be a way, I think education is the key, but for people that, um, are upset that, um, they, they see, they're blind, they are blind that this is a problem. Mostly it's white cops attacking black people. For those that are uneducated to that, what do you do to talk to people about, um, to let, to let them see that this is a problem and that they, they, what steps should they take to see that this is a problem? because I think a lot of people deal with this all the time, but they don't really know how do I address this, you know, and uh, how do I address it in a way that it will be received? Because I think a lot of people get defensive, and as soon as you start talking about some of these issues, the defense rises, their walls go up, and then they're not hearing anything, they're yeah, not really. receiving anything, and now you're at a stalemate, and, and then is it productive at this point? So in order to be productive, one of the things that I start off with is saying, you know, number one, basic humanity. If nothing else, let's talk about basic humanity. Yes. Do you think that it is basic humanity for a police officer to take the life of someone without their lives being in danger or being threatened? And honestly, in humanity, basic humanity, if it was you, if it was me, if it was your brother, your sister, your uncle, your nephew, your child, if it was somebody that you know, you would not want anyone to take their life. The police do not get to be the judge, jury, and the executioner. No, they shouldn't They're be. simply here to enforce the law and to take you in to be judged and to experience the, the further discipline actions based on what the rest of the judicial system decides, not based on the police deciding for themselves. So that alone is this basic humanity piece. Yes. Someone saying, I can't breathe, and you lay on their neck with your knee while other people are sitting on top of them. Yeah. That's not basic humanity, right? So, and then going past basic humanity, let's look at the history and let's look at the facts because a lot of people, like you said, they try to play these sides and throw in, but this happens to this person. Well, these people experience it too. Well, let's look at the facts. We look at the history. Go to the, to the history. Go to the museum of law enforcement. What will you see? You'll see that police were originally what? Slave catchers. Mm -hmm. That was their job. Their job was to catch slaves. Yes. And then moving forward, after slavery was over, now we're in the Reconstruction era, what was their job then? Looking beyond that, when you look at the Civil 
rights movement in the one video that everybody saw of people being sprayed with hoses and attacked by dogs. Who was sicking the dogs and who was spraying them? Yeah, the cops. Right? So the history of racism has been embedded as a strong piece of the police force from back in the day. So now moving up till now, when you look at the laws and the Constitution, looking at how black people were not considered human beings, they were not considered human beings, they were considered property, they were considered animals. Looking at the fact that lynching is still federally legal, currently in America, lynching is still federally legal. Looking at the 13th Amendment, saying that slavery is still federally legal as long as you've been convicted of a crime. Now we see mass incarceration of black people at higher and disproportionate rates because now they can be enslaved legally if we just catch them up in this way. It's incentive for racist cops. Yes. And so when we look at the, the overall trends, what we see is that law enforcement has constantly and consistently been enforcing oppression. Yes. And so, yes, there are great cops. My uncle was a sheriff. He taught me how to shoot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, there are excellent cops who are out there who want to see change and who want to do the right thing. But guess what happens when they do the right thing? They get fired. They get blackballed. They get mistreated. They get um, they they get issues with the people that are on the the squad with them, and now they have to worry about whether someone's really going to have their back out on the streets. Right? We've seen the movies. Black and Blue recently came out uh, that that demonstrated this. We've we've seen the real people and these real stories of people who are police officers who this has happened to, and so um, ultimately, what we see is that. The reality is that we need an overhaul of our law enforcement. We need to change the way that we have viewed law enforcement and the way that law enforcement has viewed themselves. Yeah. The idea of civility, you know, Sandra Lynn was murdered all because she waved her finger and, and had an attitude when she responded to the police officer. Now she's got to get out the car. Now you're going in. And now she never comes out of that jail cell again. You know, after telling the world, I would never kill myself. I would never commit suicide. If the police ever take hold of me, this is what you know can happen. This is what you know is going on. This is what's happening in the world around us, right? And so we know that these things exist. We have to acknowledge this is the history. These are facts. This is not somebody's opinion. And your opinion of what happens to different people doesn't matter. When we start looking at numbers and statistics, it's easy to get lost. Because if you don't recognize that we're black people are considered a minority, and so the numbers that are comparing to to white numbers, it just doesn't even translate in that way, right? So a lot of people try to make themselves an expert in statistics or an expert in history or an expert in science when things come up and now they have to decide what what lane do I want to stand in. But the reality is if we're all wanting to be humans, if we all want basic humanity and if we all want basic levels of respect, then we should acknowledge that what's happening is wrong, that lives should not be lost um, at the hands of the police and that people should be able to call the police with confidence that those people are here to protect and serve. And, you know, Breonna Taylor was killed in her underwear at home in the middle of the night, relaxing. And she was murdered because the police, they went to the wrong house. Yes. Who they were looking for was already in custody. And they still broke in. And when they got gun 
thing. Now you've gunned down this woman, this essential worker, this woman who's awesome, who has been doing some amazing things in the community. Yeah. Now she's dead. You know, wow. Gotham Jean, he was in his apartment eating ice cream in his underwear, and a police officer tried to break into his house. Yeah. And when he opens the door, she guns him down. Yeah. You know, this is the story that's happened so many times where the people who called the police, a young lady, was the police were called because she was having seizures. And the police came out, and next thing you know, she's flying over the balcony dead. Yeah. It makes sense. So if we want to make sense of it all and, and have basic humanity, we need to change the way that we look at law enforcement. We need to change what law enforcement stands for. We need to change how we operate law enforcement. And we need to realize that at the end of the day, we have to have this basic level of humanity. Absolutely. With that, I want to now bring up the defund the police movement because um, with police brutality that led to, um, in Minnesota, um, they wanted to defund the police in which they, there was changes they did. They were stripped of like a lot of the revenue for the year or, or I guess the money allotted to um, do what they do. Of course, that leads, that leads to the argument that by some people that I've heard that, well, now you just don't want no police. People are saying, um, well, if we have no police, then everyone can just start killing people. Some, um, and they would get away with it. And I think they're missing the point. What they want, we still want police, but we don't want, we want them to be well trained and we don't want them to be so drunk on power that they can do whatever they want, which includes the idea, the original idea of being a police to begin with. You're supposed to be a better person and you're supposed to be the protector of the law. You protect the innocent and punish the ones that are really doing the crime and then send them to the judge. Like, yeah, like we touched up on earlier. That guy in Minnesota and all these other police officers, they're become the judge themselves. They're killing people without merit. And it's its really heartbreaking. Hearing these stories is heartbreaking. The other argument that I hear is that we're becoming a Marxist society. Like, making these demands on people making changes. They're saying that um, we're forcing people to do the right thing. And that could be a Marxist. Now, I don't agree with that, but a lot of people say it, that's what they're saying. It's a Marxist attitude. So what do you think about society becoming, I mean, yeah, what do you think of the criticism that we're becoming a Marxist society? Oh, I think that's funny. <laughs> I think it's laughable. Like, it really is. We want you to uphold what's right. Yeah. Marxism, like what? Who does that? Like, where do you get get off with that? Defunding the police. I think the terminology that's being used. I think honestly, we just really need some people who have some level of awareness and start to really um, critically think about the terminology that's being used with lay people. If someone is not, you know, in a field where they understand these terms, then they get very easy easily distracted and confused and shifted to a whole other direction. Yes. Instead of defund the police, they should have just said what they meant. Instead of saying defund the police, they should have just said, let's reallocate funds yeah. to social services and to um, the professionals who truly can assist in these situations where the police are not trained. And let's train the police in a better way to better be community police officers, to be better um, equipped to handle these different situations yes. so that they do not have the responsibility um, to do so much to where the quality is allowed to become so poor. Right? Right. 
would have had that conversation, right? I think a lot of people wouldn't even have anything to say, right? Because obviously when you have situations like someone with mental health issues, um, like Elijah McClain, child, beautiful soul, beautiful heart, murdered by the police, right? Yes. Because he had some issues where he wasn't aware that the police were even talking to him, yes. right? Um, you know, this type of, or, and then when he was aware that the police were talking to him, they weren't aware that of the issues that he had, not understanding that we're not able to communicate effectively right now, yeah. right? But they're not trained. They don't have those skills. There's a, I don't know what it was. There's some movie recently that I watched in it that was very similar. Mary J. Blige movie. Okay. Um, scary movie, right? But the police officers, um, ended up killing a child who couldn't hear them. Mm. A black child, black teenager who couldn't hear them. He yeah. couldn't hear. But you killed him because you gave an order and he didn't respond and now he's on the ground dead. Right? And so we see this happen so many times. So understanding what defund the police really means, understanding that we're not talking about taking away the police, we're talking about supporting them with professionals that can do the job that they need to do, that is not the police's job, that's something that they're not trained in, and then training them and equipping them to do their job in the best way, not in the way that has been traditional, not in the way that has them on this power high, where they feel like if you just... If you, you know, say it with a tone, then that means now that you're resisting yeah. arrest. Like, that's not how that works. Yeah, I don't have indeed. to say anything to you in a certain tone. I don't have to say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. I don't have to say any of those things. I have to uphold the law. That's all I have to do, right? And so breaking that down, I think, is necessary, and it helps people understand. And they wouldn't say things like, this is becoming a Marxist society. Like, the reality is capitalism sucks. Yeah real and most people probably recognize now that we've gone through this global pandemic and now that some people have had to be unemployed or some people have had to come home or some people had to try to work for home or some people need to and want to work for home they can't because their jobs require them to come in right i think now we can say that we can recognize how capitalism has impacted our lives we've allowed the capitalism of society to make us work extremely hard, overwork, spend less time with our families, less time with our friends, less time with God. So we can all agree that that sucks. We should not live in a life where where we can't spend time with our family and friends and all that and that we spend more time trying to pay the bills and the cost of living that's way higher than what our income can afford us. Yeah. Then, you know, that, that, that shouldn't be. So... Now, what, am I Marxist for saying that capitalism sucks? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that people will take things any way that they go, and I think some people attribute it to um, some individuals in the Black Lives Matter movement that allegedly said that they uh, take to those ideologies, but that doesn't represent the movement. That doesn't represent everybody. We talked about every ideology that somebody in a position of leadership or somebody with an idea has, and you know, now we're looking at a whole divided world. But the reality is, is that the movement itself is just about the liberation of people. And it's the liberation of all people, not just black people. But all lives mm -hmm. can't matter until black lives also matter. Absolutely. have not mattered for over 400 years. So at this point, we're saying that we need to liberate all people. And if that means that we need to reimagine the way our society functions, then that's what that means. And that's okay. It's not making it to become 
Marxist or communist or, you know, any of these other things. If that's the case, let's look at some of the institutions here that keep us from being able to be liberated. And let's talk about, you know, what that means and the ideology behind that. But if we really want to look at it, let's just look at our world for what it is. It needs to evolve. It needs to change. And if we want basic humanity, if we want civil rights, if we want human rights, if we want justice, if we want peace, we are going to have to evolve as a community, as a society, as America, we are going to have to evolve. And that's just the reality. So instead of trying to label it and trying to attribute our evolution to all of these different ideologies, let's just look at it as a clean slate. We need to reset. And I think a lot of people during this pandemic have noticed that our world has gotten a chance to reset just by people having to be home for a little bit. You notice that, you know, nature, things were happening in nature, things were reviving, animals were thriving again. You know, all these things were happening when we reset. And if we as people in our society decided to reset and to re uh, evaluate how we do humanity, I think that we could benefit from that greatly. And I would agree. Of course, that might be something that's easier said than done. But once again, that's that's something we got to teach young people. Because someone that's older and set in their ways, they're not likely to make that change. Some of them will, but a lot of them will not. So, but once we come to that decision, yeah, we need to have that educated being instilled. Yes, yes. The band, y'all. Holding it down. So I got one more thing I need y'all to help me with. Yellow cab, y'all still with us? Hold up. Yellow cab, if you're in the building, are y'all still with us? That's my smooth dad voice. <laughs> so, it's real simple. Horrible grammar, but it's real simple. I'm going to say, I got. I know I should say, I have. I'm going to say, I got. This is a good night. All I need y'all to say is love. All right, love, that's it. Let's try this. I got love. I got love. I got love. All right, so when the time comes, I'm going to need y'all help. Is that okay, yellow cab? Is that okay, yellow cab? I don't feel like it's okay. Is that okay, yellow cab? One, two, three, four. I 
going on and they are right now they want us to go well not me i'm not a student but you you have to go back to a building and teach at a time when there's no medicine or current cure for this COVID 19 so i just want to know your thoughts well, I, well the first thing i want to ask you is about what is sinclair community college the places you're at what what efforts are they making to fight COVID 19 right now well that's a loaded question Things that have been made. So one of the great things 
is that they have established extra cleanings and, you know, certain sanitary protocol throughout the college. Um, another thing is that obviously masks are mandated in Ohio right now, so masks are required on campus at yeah, all times. Yeah, I thought so. Um, and we're still having to fulfill social distance. So yes. what that means is that our classrooms are going to look a lot different for the fall. We're actually offering most of our classes online and remote for the fall, yeah. um, which give students a chance to stay safe, students a chance to stay at home. Um, for those who still need that person-to-person interaction, they can take a remote class and you can still have conversations, still have dialogues, still have discussion groups, still have activities. For those who are good at time management and who can uh, be, be kind of disciplined and making sure that they get what they need to do done on their own time, yes. there are online classes available so people can take classes there. We will have some classes face-to-face, but those classes are usually based on classes that absolutely need to be face-to-face because they're hands-on or because it's some type of lab or because the accreditation for that type of program requires that person-to-person experience. Yeah, I've had those before, absolutely. Yeah. So there won't be a, a huge slew of classes face-to-face. There won't be a lot of people on campus face-to-face. Um, we are maintaining that a lot of our, our operating services will remain um, kind of either distant or online. Um, some of some things will be um, physically available, but it's kind of up and down. So we're kind of just really paying attention to what's happening. We're not um, making any broad statements for the fall that um, are going to, you know, have to be rolled back again uh, in August. You just never know what, what might happen. And initially, we were going to start slowly opening some things in June, then it got pushed to July, and yes. now it's August, so we just never really know. Um, but we are taking heed to what our students and our faculty and our, our staff are telling us, and most people are extremely concerned. Um, especially because on average you've got 10,000 people in and out of a building in a day, right? And so on a normal day at Sinclair. And so there's, there's, it's really difficult um, with the number of buildings and the number of entrances and um, the number of people that are here and how many people have people with underlying conditions at home or children at home. And now also the children's situation, right? Some people don't know what's going to happen with schools for their kids and whether or not their kids have to be there a couple of days out the week, what's going to happen on those other days, do I have kids across the whole week because this group is going to be there on Mondays and Wednesdays and this group on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So there's a lot that is still up in the air. So I do appreciate that Sinclair has been very, very um, clear that they are taking our safety precautions into um, effect and, and they are also um, being very cautious about us, there's even a, a process for us if we feel uncomfortable because we have an underlying condition or mm-hmm. someone at home does, that there's actually going to be an HR process to where we can make sure that we let Sinclair know that and then their proper accommodations are made for us to be able to work from home. So I'm really, really grateful about that because that was a huge concern of mine. I Absolutely. Got, I got the flu in January Oh. from my students. Okay. And I taught in the same classroom across three different courses that day, and everyone across three different classes got sick in waves. And so for the whole January to March period, before we went home, my students were getting sick. Week after week, there's a whole new group of students sick because it's passing around. Yes. 
and they gave it to me the first week of school, which I was absolutely upset. Um, so I've been spraying Lysol in my classroom and wearing a mask and hand sanitizer since January. Um, and I was out for two weeks. And then I got sick again in February. I was in the emergency room in January and urgent care in February. And I was like, now the coronavirus, like, you really, I want to go home. Mm. Like, I'm ready to go home. And I think that's just a great example of how easy it is to pass things around at school in, in those circumstances. And so I'm really grateful that less of our classes will be in person. So we have a little more time to try to navigate the situation. We have canceled our sports for the fall season. Yes. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, for this, those who are in athletics, but to keep people safe. And I think safety is most important. And I think at the end of the day, if we just consider that lives could be spared, um, that that, again, goes back to that basic humanity. And I think, again, capitalism tells people, well, you got to go here, you got to go here, you got to do all the things. And it's like, well, well, you can probably do a lot of self-care and a lot of growth and a lot of productive stuff at home if you just stay there. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, with that being said, that's good news for young adult students who go to college. I think college has the freedom to do that. We're going to provide um, remote learning and online learning. Now, with that being said, elementary schools and high schools, they're at the mercy of their government. A lot of them are being forced to go back to school in person this fall. Because I have heard that they are going to try to have a COVID-19 safe situation. They'll keep the students separated. They got to wear masks in the hallways. But they are younger. I mean, I feel like if I were a seven-year-old kid, you know, when I was going to school and this COVID-19 was going on, now I'm hearing, on the news, I'm hearing about all these people dying, and I'm a little kid, I'd probably cry going to school. Um, I think a lot of kids would feel like, oh, am I going to die, Mommy? I mean, it's that is a real reality. So yeah. do you have young people in your life who currently go to an elementary or high school? Um, do you feel like they could die at this moment? Like, what, what do you feel about this? absolutely do have young people in my life who are terrified to go back to school. Yeah. I mean, who are honestly just not into it. They don't want to go. Um, they don't think that it makes sense to risk their life. For what? What am I exactly risking my life for? To go to school? Well, oh. lots of kids are homeschooled, right? Well, I was homeschooled. Uh, I was actually homeschooled through my entire um, elementary, middle school, and high school career. Um, wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> So in my experience, you know, although homeschool is a huge shift for a lot of kids, and I, I, and I know that every parent does not have the luxury to be able to do that. Some people do have to go to work where they cannot have their kids at home. And I feel for those because it's a very strong catch-22. You know, you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. Like, if you, if you stay home, you might miss out on a paycheck that you need to survive. But if your kids go to school, they might catch this illness that's deadly and no one has any answers and i think one yeah. of the things that is important for us to remind everybody is that no one has any answers and in science you'll hear a lot of studies show and tests show and here's what we know but a lot of times it's just based off of observation it's not actually figured out yet and what we see right now with this virus is that no one has anything figured out. We don't have real concrete answers. We don't have solutions. All we have is what we know. And what we know is what we see. And we're still figuring it out bit by bit. So recently we found out that children are being infected with this virus. Yeah, they can and be. Then, um, even children can die from this virus. And I know beforehand people said, you know, if you're older, that's the the, 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 
people that should be concerned. But now the reality is you don't know. People also said, the heat kills it. Don't worry. It's hot outside. You'll be all right. And then Arizona has this huge outbreak. Yes, they are. You really don't know. And so instead of trying to base your decisions off of what the news is saying or what science says or what the CDC says, you should base it again off of basic logic and humanity. This is a life or death situation. Yes. We don't know for who. We don't know if that means life or death for our child or if that child is going to pass it to someone else and then it becomes life or death for someone else. There are families, whole families, who are suffering from this virus because one person got it and now the entire family got it. I even have a student. Um, my student is uh, over 30 years old. Her mother passed away from the coronavirus. Oh, her sister, her brother-in-law, her two adult children, everyone has the virus. And thank God they are slowly starting to recover. They actually emailed me yesterday and said they've been fever-free for four days, okay. which is the first time. They've had this for months. So you just never really know. And because they all had it, her husband and her grandkids, they couldn't come around the rest of the family. So just imagining the trauma and the mental stress and the emotional distress, and then, you know, throw in that these people probably couldn't work. Are they getting paid? Do they have, you know, health care? You know, all these different things. So I think it's a big decision that parents are making because the government is making it on behalf of your child, but then you get to decide whether you agree with the government or not and decide what you're going to do with it. And I'll tell you, man, um, in my college classes with students anywhere from seventh grade to elderly, my adult students are disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I am standing at the front of the room and I'm seeing grown adults pick their nose and touch things, you know, know, coughing and not washing their hands. And and I mean, honestly, they just do very, their hygiene is just questionable. People touch all over their face and they're like, as I'm talking about, don't touch your face, you see at least 10 people do it. And it's just like, you know, if adults do that, I can only imagine what in elementary school would look like. Oh, yeah, I remember. Keep their hands to themselves as it is, much less lick it and touch you and be like, ha-ha, you got it now. You know, like, <laughs> oh, no. And so I think it's a very difficult place that we're in, and I really, truly wish that we would follow the um, lead of some of these other countries around the world who have gotten a handle on this, yes. who have said we're going to support our families by giving them the type of stimulus check that they need to feed themselves for the month and then we're going to keep everybody home and everybody safe as much as we physically can yes. and then let's, we can you know, slow this down. And some other countries have been extremely successful with that. And I think if we would take the time to pause and not let the money be the motivator, but say, you no. know, life is more important and humanity is more important. Let's just pause and give everybody a chance to, like, be okay. That we might have it like some of these other countries do. But currently, all the other countries don't want us to come there because we just have this exactly. mentality where we just absolutely are not thinking about the greater good of the whole at all. Yes, exactly. That's why these other countries we can't go to the we can't go there right now because of that. And they can't come here either because we, we until um I was gonna say I think when the, until the vaccine comes out things are gonna go back to normal. But it is about until that happens. It's about 
how you handle it. We were handling it well because I like what Mike DeWine did. He was be he actually was doing his job and trying yeah. to keep people safe and like, hey, listen, we need to figure this out. Everyone, go home if you don't if you're not an essential worker. I believe his heart was in the right place. Of course, the catch twenty two with that and a lot of people bring up is that it did hurt the economy because people were now not working. Some people can't get on unemployment. Some people were retired anyway, and a lot of businesses. That was there for people's needs. They had they had to close down for a while, and they're no they're no longer there to serve their customers. So that did cause the issue. And I think um, the government that we have now, more or less, um, more specifically the um, federal government, their focus is money, and right. that's why I mean that's why the threat was made. I don't I only mentioned the dude's name. I think you know who I'm talking about. He said that um he's not he's not going to fund. The high schools and the elementary schools, if you don't go back to these schools, it's almost like we've been given an ultimatum to go to these schools when there's a real threat and danger there. Like, I would hate to hear news about little kids dying from COVID-19 when they could have been at home safe with their families. I feel like that could possibly happen because, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. And I I try not to think about it. It's, It's extremely heartbreaking and it's extremely scary that our leadership would be willing to risk the lives of our future um, for the sake of the economy or money. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, you save the economy, but you kill the future because you've allowed these kids to now pass around this virus. And I, I pray and hope that it's not so and that it would never happen that way, but you just never know right now. It is literally, we watch scary movies of the end of the world and the apocalypse and zombies and, yeah. you know, and all these different things and as you watch it typically you're screaming at the tv like no don't go in there do you know and i'm screaming at america right now no don't go in there like don't do it this doesn't make any sense <laughs> you know we watch bird box and everybody's like don't go outside stay in the house logic and now we're we're looking at it happening live and in action and instead of thinking that same way we're just so caught up in our individual um desires our individual experiences you know i just want to travel because i just want to see the world you want to travel right now with everything that's going on like think about your life and everyone that's around you and how much you're exposing people to every time you go somewhere right yes. and i think that it's really scary because like you said dewine did an amazing job at the beginning of this yes our city was very secure we had very low numbers um, we were not like New York was. We were not like Florida is now. We were not going through some of these different things. And the feedback from the individualistic people who said, I'm going to sue the governor if this doesn't open. I'm going to yeah. mark capital because we want to go get our haircuts. Like, you know, all these people started threatening um threatening some type of legal repercussion for protecting us. Yeah. And, and I think that's what kind of shifted. And and then when the federal government starts to threaten people as well with these ultimatums or these, you know, ide- this ideology, which obviously is wishy-washy because it started off with wearing a mask is, you know, my pride. And then now it's like, wear a mask, y'all. <laughs> you know, so I think that that it's just a sad experience to watch because you want the strength and the, the you know, the wherewithal to, to go for it anyway and to protect the people anyway. But you are facing some serious, 
you know, backlash if you don't. And so it becomes this now individual decision, which if we're in an individualistic society, everyone's going to think about themselves and think about, well, how's it going to impact me and what's best for me right now? Instead of thinking about what's best for the greater good of our community and what's best for the group at large. And I think, Again, this is this is this test of society. You know, are we willing to look at humanity? Are we willing to put our individual wants and needs to the side and focus on what's best for everyone? And uh, I think we'll see how well we pass that test by the number of deaths in this country. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question before I let you go today. But of course, um, during this episode, I will I'll play music from your brand Frequency. I'll play two of your original songs, so audience at home, you'll be hearing that. I'll talk about that at the end of the segment, of course. So, so I'll be doing that for you, um, Professor Taylor Curtis. I got used to, I got to get used to calling you that because at night you're you're Michael at night, but at day you're and you're. I've learned a lot from you today. I've been blown away by this information that you've given me, and I will definitely, I'll definitely play this back and see if I missed anything. But this has been an incredible conversation, and I want to thank you for being on today, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Yes. Yeah, so, so one last question before I do let you go. We are living in dark times. I've said this on my previous episodes of the podcast with, you know, police brutality, the protests, COVID-19. We're in dark times in this country and for a lot of the world. I Do you have any advice for people at home listening to this? What can they do to cope with this with these times? Absolutely. I say, number one, the first thing is self-care. Self-care is so important from the way that you talk to yourself and affirm yourself um, to the way that you take care of your body and your health um, to the way that you take care of your emotions and your spirit. And so I think self-care is super important. That's why I have a self-care business. Um, Taking care of your physical and and mental and emotional well-being is super important during times like this, where a lot of us are experiencing anxiety about going out and about. A lot of us are experiencing PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. For those of us who experience racial trauma, a lot of us are triggered by racial trauma, and we also feel that our lives are at risk in, in everyday situations, and so that weighs on us. Some people are depressed with all the the hard things that are happening. Some people are isolated because of coronavirus, so they're, you know, staying to themselves, and some people are at home by themselves and don't have anybody. So I think self-care is super important. Whatever you can do that's going to uplift your spirits, that's going to relieve your stress, that's not going to harm you, that's something that you should be doing on a regular basis. Make sure that you're taking care of your health properly. Eat the right foods. Take your vitamins. Boost your immune system during this time. Drink a lot of fluids. Drink a lot of water. You know, do the things that are going to help you. Exercise and work out because that helps with your internal health system as well. Um, You know, take the time that you do have during um, this time where it's not so much normal and it's not so much of the busy hustle and grind and take some time to be productive within yourself. What can you do that you always wanted to do, but you never had time to do? What can you do to, to revitalize your home or to um, build a new skill or to improve in yourself in some way? What books can you read that are going to, you know, yes. help you you know what I mean? So taking the time to do some self-care, taking the time to, you know, be as productive as you can. Part of that production is in educating yourself. So if you Google anti-racism, you'll find the Smithsonian Institute has 
total information about being against racism. What does that look like for me if I'm black? What does that look like for me if I'm white? What does that look like for me if I'm purple, pink, and blue? Like, how do I go about that? Um, being a part of your community, finding out what your community needs are. What what businesses can you support in your community? What groups can you invest in? What do you know people mentor and invest in? And how can you build? Um, a lot of white people ask me, okay, you're the director of African-American studies. What do I do about racism? How do I help? Well, number one, in your daily awareness, in your daily conversations, in an advocate and an ally. Number two, you educate yourself and then you educate the people around you. Number three, you get involved in your community. So get involved in the black community in your area. Find out what skills can you impart that they may not have. What knowledge do you have that you can pass on? If you've got a green thumb and I don't know anything about gardening because I've lived in an apartment my whole life mm-hmm. and I've never had a a yard to garden in, then maybe you could teach me that skill. And now I'm learning how to build food and food stability within my community, right? So yeah. there are different things that we can all contribute to. And then, of course, money, our economy. If we can build the economy in our local community, putting and investing our money into our local businesses, we can help them grow and help establish and help bridge the gaps that exist. So in all of this, find a way to be productive, find a way to take care of yourself, find a way to take a stand, and also make sure that you are paying it forward, that you are building legacy. Our young people are going through a, the time of that's going to be in their history books later. Absolutely. So to build legacy with them now so that they recognize that humanity is important, that they recognize that their lives matter, and that they recognize that they can do anything and be anything and be a pro- part of a productive change in the world that we live in. Amazing words. Professor, class dismiss. I want to thank you once again. And I'll definitely do that. A lot of that I'll need to try myself. I need, cause I have, to, I struggle building myself up. So I'll do the best I can doing that. And then, um, and then I, maybe I can build others up. So once again, Taylor Curtis, professor, thank you very much. Thank you so much. And just know that you can check us out. Frequency will be doing a live show at the Yellow Cab. Okay. On August 14th. Um, it will be social distance. So I think we're going to have some, different type of policies, the more outdoor type of thing, so that people can still hear good music, still eat some really good food, but still be safe in the process. So check us out on August 14th, and we would love to hear more from you and see you there. Well, maybe. I want to try to get out more. These concert venues open up. I'll try to support that because I I definitely support the arts, and I hope you guys, if if I can't be there, I hope you guys knock it out of the park. Absolutely. What you gonna do when you next in line with trouble ahead? You can't leave it behind. Come on, no one ever said that life would be easy. Better start paying attention, y'all. Please believe me. What you gonna do when you next in line with trouble ahead? You can't leave it behind. Come on, no one ever said that life would be easy. Better start one more time, one more time. Come on. What you gonna do when you next in line with trouble ahead? You can't leave it behind. Come on, no one ever said that life would be easy. Public service announcement. Public service announcement. Public service announcement. Public service announcement. You better stop paying attention, y'all. Public service announcement. Wake up. It's time. You better stop paying attention, y'all. 
Come on, happy days are here again. This is a message to you, my friend. For every new beginning, there is an end. For every dollar earned, there's one spent. With the NASDAQ message, there's something to gain. Too much blood on the wall, we'll leave a stain. And every laughter to joy, yeah, hate this pain. If you shoot, dribble past that one and the same. Don't leave your door unlocked in the parking lot. I'm lost you in your burger, I hit the spot. The young boys said they got the block on lock, but the block that they locked got bars in the cock. Come on, don't be brainwashed by the propaganda. Shakespeare in the Bible book, none of us stand. Kids in the 90s grew up with no standards, cause all they fathers saw they didn't teach them a man. What you gonna do if you next in line with trouble the head, you can't leave them behind. Come on, no one ever said that life would be easy, man. Stop paying attention, y'all. What you gonna do if you next Said they don't want no scrolls While SWP stay talking about love Fight the powers that be for me Open Stevie's eyes so he can't see We all want a piece of the pie, certainly Here's what they say, it is just a dream All the pieces gone, we find ourselves in despair First they tax the water, next we pay for the air Instead of taking over, why can't we be said The politicians say no, cause they just don't care What you gonna do when you next in line? There's a war going on, what they tell you is they preach about freedom, but they tap your knife. If you ain't gonna stand up and buy your spine, come on. What, what you gon' do when you next in line with? Jump over here, you can't leave it behind. Come on. No one ever said that life would be easy. You better stop paying attention, y'all. What you gon' do when you next in line with? Jump over here, you can't leave it behind. Come on. No one ever said that life would be easy. You better stop paying attention, y'all. About non-violence, JFK was from the people, so they put him on silence. Rosa Parks had a movement for all of us riders. The underground left road left us inspired. Penitentiary was built as a form of oppression. They say it's for our own good to teach us a lesson. The thirst for the currency has become an obsession. When the change gonna come, why they keeping us guessing? Marvin Gaye said they made him wanna holler. All the top artists sold they sold for a dollar. But you being taught a song by crack scholars, it's the shame all the elders have no. Polish. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. The future of our history is now the past. The real problem sits on high behind the mask. Yo, time is running short, talk. This won't last. Come on, what you gonna do when you next in line? Tell on the head, you can't leave it behind. Come on, no one ever said that life would be easy. You better start paying attention. Y'all please believe me. What you gonna do when you next in line? Tell on the head, you can't leave it behind. Come on, no one ever said that life would be easy. What you gon' do when you next in line with Trouble over here, you can't leave it behind Welcome back to the Ohio's on Fire podcast I am Daniel Diesel And once again I want to thank Taylor Curtis for the wonderful interview And throughout this episode I did play music from Frequency It was their live performance from Yellow Cab Tavern some time back And of course the professor, she revealed that they will be back at Yellow Tab Cavern Sometime next month after this recording, in which they'll perform, it'll be done with um, social distancing being practiced. But of course, throughout this episode, I played Love Joint. And then in the middle of the interview, I played I Got Love. And just now, before I came back, I played The Quest. Those are all live versions. But I want to give a, um, a post-roll shout-out to my Patreons for this month. 
I had AJ Fink, Karen Fink, and then I had Alexis Stelmack in the band MI3. They all donated to my Patreon this month. And we got a new month coming, so hopefully I'll either get new customers or maybe I'll keep the ones I have. But they get a um, post-roll. And of course, the ones that spend a lot of money, they also get a pre-roll. So I had a, you heard my pre-roll recording from earlier in the show. I will definitely update that as the month comes. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode. But until next time, Taylor Curtis, Marxist of the world, if you're out there, and peaceful protesters, that's the way it is.